We've been playing this game all year. It's part mystery, part hidden object, all immersive storyline. It's called June's Journey, and let me tell you, Roaring Twenties, releasing your inner Sherlock, you get to literally find clues in vivid scenes and then piece together a bigger story. We think you'll love this game as much as we do. I, for one, am not usually good at finding things. No comment. (laughs) But I couldn't put this game down. And you know what? It is a ton of fun. It's great to relax with this game at night, and it's so satisfying to make progress. Yeah, the mystery, the story, love it. Ready to awaken your inner detective? Download June's Journey free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. This week on Myths and Legends, there are two stories of Christmas in Iceland. So, of course, that means wizards, evil spirits, and death. The creature this time is the Gugel, nightmare fuel from Spain, who hates your holiday decorations. This is Myths and Legends, episode 251, Ghosts of Christmas Past. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. This week, there are two stories from Iceland set around Christmas time. They're legends, so history actually kind of matters this week, at least in the first story. The first takes place in the 14th century, and we'll meet a wizard who has to be home for Christmas, or else all of his wizard buddies will kill him. On the second, we'll meet a couple who's about to tie the knot, unless something sinister can keep them apart. Oh, you you packing up to leave? The servant asked the wizard. (laughs) The wizard chuckled. Uh, what gave the man that idea? You are packing up. You're putting everything in that bag you have that's bigger on the inside. Well, your most important books, potions, newts? How long can those survive in there? The servant observed. Oh, leaving! Yes, yes I am! The wizard shouted. I'm going away for a little bit. It's wizard con. Wizard... Con, the servant repeated. The wizard said, yeah, yearly convention and trade show for wizards all around the region. Uh, okay, but I've been working for you for over three decades, and this is the first time hearing of wizard con, the servant noted. The wizard laughed. Uh, yeah, because he memory wiped the servant each year. What happens at WizCon stays at WizCon. We call it WizCon sometimes. The servant was still confused. So, I go to Wizard Con too? He asked. The wizard shook his head. Of course not. You're not a wizard, Harry. That's your new nickname. I'm going to start calling you Harry because you're so hairy. Get a haircut. Anyway, I'm already late, so please, pass me that wand, Harry. The servant said he wasn't loving the new nickname, but sure. He held out the wand, but then the wizard hesitated. Actually, if he could just, like set it on the table there and take a few steps back, that would be great. When the servant stepped back, a small fire ignited, and as quickly as it flared up, it was gone, singeing the outside of the wand but leaving it largely unscathed. The wizard snatched it up and, staying a good six feet away from his servant at all times, left the home. As the servant followed the wizard to the docks, he asked what he should do. The wizard said he had a week off with pay, Enjoy it. Yeah, have a great life. I mean, week. 
live your life during this week. The servant stood at the docks, confused, but, you know, grateful for the week off. It was the only one he actually remembered ever getting. The wizard, though, had already boarded the boat, and he was ordering up a rainbow bowl on the cruise. He turned around and, oh, nice, swag totes. He pulled out a t-shirt and chuckled. It said, I survived the Black Death and all I got was this lousy t-shirt, WizardCon 1346. He looked back at the town and sighed, clinking bowls with all of his fellow wizards on the boat. Poor people, they'll all be dead in a week. Many weeks and many more dead later, and Wizard Khan was losing steam. It was really just a half joke, half flimsy pretense for the wizard class to flee to safety while the rest of society dealt with the ravages of an extremely deadly contagion. On one hand, they had magic, knowledge, and they could heal a good many people, as well as teach them how to stay safe and healthy in a dangerous time. On the other hand, it was scary and difficult, and they didn't want to. So the wizards fled to the Westman Islands and waited for things to kind of work themselves out. About a year later, they were starting to see why your average wizard is a soul magic practitioner locked away in their tower. It is because they are very personable and understanding, humble, and they work well with others. The wizards decided, because they were all so excited to help out and not end their petty squabbles in an island-wide newt shortage, that they should call a conference. Since wizards have so much tact, all of them entered the main hall to see a bell curve. Every wizard who had fled society when it needed them most was up there. It went from least competent to most, from Radagast to Saruman the White, Lockhart to Dumbledore. The leaders announced that someone was going out there to check for life. It wouldn't be their best. It wouldn't be their worst. A spotlight dropped on a wizard whose name was at the top as George Costanza would put it, the meatiest part of the curve, the most average wizard in their midst. We'll call him Norm. A lounge singer wizard sang Norm's congratulations as he was outfitted with a pack and staff. Norm was confused. Uh, thank you? Most average isn't really that high of an honor, but it isn't also a huge insult. It's just average. Huh, kind of made sense. You know, he was kind of tired of being here anyway. So what was it? Sail to the mainland, look for life, and come back if the plague is gone? The Council of Wizards nodded. Absolutely. Uh, one small, tiny thing not even worth mentioning. Norm needed to be back by Christmas, or they would dispatch a spirit to kill him. Norm stopped cold. Oh, wait, what? Why? The Council of Wizards explained, one, they didn't need to explain. This wasn't a wizocracy, this was a wiztatorship. He stopped. That sounded more intimidating in his head. But they would explain. There could be evil wizards that have taken over in the complete societal breakdown. And Norm could be seduced to the dark side. And he guessed that was their only reason. I guess more importantly, it was the Wizard Council's order, and Norm would be executed for defying it. Norm furrowed his brow. Well, then he wasn't going. There. The Council of Wizards said, okay, that was also defying the Wizard Council's orders, and he would be executed for doing so. Norm grumbled, fine. He would leave and see if anyone else lived. He'd be back by Christmas Day. Mm -hmm. 
Three months later, the wizard sighed when he saw the village. For months, there had been nothing, not one living soul in all of Iceland. He found people collapsed in their carts on the street. In every home, the stench of death. He traveled across valleys, over mountains, and yet there wasn't one person left alive from the plague. He looked on the village before him, the stillness of it all. There wasn't any point in investigating. There was a chill in the air, and winter was drawing near. He should get back to the islands, lest the other wizards send a spirit after him. He turned to leave, but as his eyes swept over the village one last time, he noticed something. He turned and squinted. Smoke. There was smoke coming from one of the chimneys. He took off in a run. He found the door. It was closed. The dogs and other animals had forced open the other doors. They left the bodies alone, but raided any food they could find. A closed door was rare. The wizard knocked, and she answered. A young woman flung herself from the house, weeping. She thought she was alone. She thought she was the last person left alive in Iceland. She hugged him close and wouldn't let him go. He said, well, this is nice. Hi. He was Norm. He was the wizard who had been living with a bunch of dudes for like a year, so all of this was very sudden and welcome. They were all guys because WitchCon was both linguistically confusing and non-existent. The witches actually stayed behind to help out the people through the plague. They'll probably enjoy some well-deserved thanks and reverence for the remainder of the Middle Ages and on through the early modern period. The woman led him inside and told him to sit, telling the harrowing story of the plague. She lost her family early on, but she seemed to be immune. Turned out being the only person on earth was crushingly lonely. She was glad he was here. Norm asked if she knew of anyone else. She frowned. She said she walked for a week in every direction during the summer months. Nothing. No one but the dead. Norm hung his head. Wow. Okay. He should report back. He had to return by Christmas Day, and it was already getting cold. He would leave at first light. Then, he felt a hand on his own. He turned, slowly, to meet the woman's eyes. She said he could stay longer if he wanted. He still had some time before Christmas. see if Norm makes it home for Christmas, but that will be right after this. As the weeks passed, the pair became very close. In fact, every time Norm mentioned wanting to leave, she found ways of convincing him to stay. Can't imagine it was that difficult. The pair was in love, and he was reluctant to go back to the island full of pedantic dudes who wanted to execute him for no reason anyway. Finally, the blustery winds of November brought in the snows of December, and the couple blinked, and it was Christmas Eve. She found Norm packing up. She said she always knew this day would come, because he had been talking about it for months. She wished her love all the best. In fact, she wished him superhuman speed. That's what he would need to make it to the Westman Islands before sunrise on Christmas Day. Do you ever realize that you're going to be so late to something that you decide it's just better not to go? Well, that's what Norm did. 
He figured he could run all night and still not make it halfway. He might as well stay here with the woman he loved and wait for the sending, the spirit they were, yes, sending after him to find him. Wizards were not very creative. The pair spent their last night together. In the morning, the woman awoke to find Norm, the average wizard, sitting at the foot of the bed. He made a small gesture with his hands and brought up an image. Three wizards sat in a boat, approaching the shoreline in the light of the rising sun. The woman sat down next to him. Why did those guys look like they had just been sucking on lemons? Norm shrugged. It was the Council of Wizards. That's how they looked. He saw them chant an incantation and blue flames spark on the shore. There, a beast born from darkness who moved in darkness sniffed the wind. Its flame eyes flashed and it tore off in the direction of the cabin. Norm sighed and the image evaporated. He turned to the woman. A few things would happen in quick succession now. The sending had his scent. It would find him and do what it had been summoned to do. Before that, he would grow tired. It was a powerful spell, one that he couldn't hope to counter in time. He was solidly average, as they had told him time and time again, and the spell had been crafted by a master. She should hide, though, so the sending didn't see her, too. No sense in her dying with him. He yawned. It had begun. He held her and kissed her goodbye, taking his seat. The sending was within the bounds of the farm now. It wouldn't be long. She needed to hide. He looked at her as his eyes closed. He was glad to have met her, even though it meant his death. It had all been worth it for the time they had together. If only they had more. His head drooped. The magic of the sending had knocked him out. She waited a few minutes, not hiding, not running, but standing between the wizard and the door. Brown smoke filtered in through the cracks in the door and windows and walls until it formed before the woman. It took the form of a man, and when he was complete, a sword formed in his hand. Um, hi? Nice of you to knock, the woman said. I am sent here by the wizards of the Westman Islands to slay this man who has broken his word to them. Move, therefore, from before him. While you stand there, I cannot reach him. Oh, the woman said. Wow, okay, uh, can't push his way past one unmagical person then. Cool, it's good to know our limitations. The sending said, uh, wait, hold up. I am completely capable of getting past you, I just don't want to. I was sent here to kill a wizard. You pose absolutely no challenge to me whatsoever. The woman sat down on the armrest of the chair where Norm was passed out. Oh, okay, it's just that the smoke monster... Sending, the sending corrected. I don't know why, but smoke monster makes me think of unsatisfying narrative payoffs and lack of planning. It's sending. The woman nodded. Fair enough. The sending was uh, just so small. The sending held up his hands. Okay, wow, uh... He could be bigger than this house if he wanted to. He just didn't want to. The woman laughed. Okay, sure. Uh, prove it. Do it. The sending said, okay. But then he was coming back to kill this guy. The sending went outside the house and grew to twice the size of the house. So there, boom, did it. When he was normal size again, the woman laughed. <laughs> that was cute. The sending exhaled. What was? It's like, of course... Everyone wanted to be big, but really, small was the new big. 
anyone could make themselves as big as a house, but the truly magical could shrink. The sending shook his smoke head. That's, no, I already proved that I could grow. I'm not shrinking. The woman shrugged. Hey, if you can't do it, you can't do it, and that's okay. I don't care if you lie to me. I want you to be honest with yourself, though. Just say, I can't become smaller than a fly. And I'll step aside, the woman said. Once again, inside the house, in between Norm and the sending, the sending growled and stomped his smoke foot. In an instant, he was smaller than a fly on the ground. Okay, see? He could become small. Now step aside. Hey, wait! As soon as he was a fly, the woman swooped down with a hollowed-out bone, scooped up the sending smoke fly, and corked it off, trapping the monster. Norma woke to the woman pouring him a cup of wine. He asked, what? How is he still alive? The woman shrugged. Eh, she didn't know. The sending just didn't show. Maybe the wizards weren't so powerful after all. Norm said he was confused. He just, he fell asleep. It was the magic. It was a nap. You took a nap, honey, the woman said, handing him a cup. Relax. Norm pulled up a vision. Yeah, wow, the sending was gone. He couldn't see it, just darkness and bones. Huh, maybe he didn't have anything to worry about. So it was said that they laughed and sang till the rafters had not heard the like of it for many a long year. After Christmas, though, came New Year's Eve. And since the wizards are jerks, they want their underlings to work exclusively on the holidays. They prepared another sending. It was coming too, and it would be there by New Year's Day. The woman rose. Well, he should wait until it tried its strength against what she had. She looked to the sun outside. They had to go. She had something she wanted to show Norm. Norm tried to ask her what was going on, but she ignored him the whole trip, seemingly consumed with figuring out the route. They walked all night. Until, near sunrise, they stopped at a large grouping of shrubs on the windswept moors. She crouched down beside the dirt and revealed a trap door. It swung open, and she turned to Norm with a smile pointing downstairs. After you. They both descended into the darkness of the cave. Down below, far below, a light twinkled. There was a bed in a cavern, and next to it, a hollowed-out human skull burned with fat. In the bed lay a man, surrounded by books. Books that Norm recognized. You're a wizard, he whispered. The man's eyes snapped open. They were blood red. His mouth snarled and seemed to stretch from ear to ear. He rose up in bed, and the woman stepped in between the man and bed and Norm. He softened with a smile. Oh, hi there, foster daughter. Long time no see. As the woman helped out the bedridden man, she explained that she found the man long ago, at the start of the plague. She thought he was immune, like her, but he had only been safe. He spent his time absorbing what he could from the books the wizards left. He had made this underground sanctuary with what magic he knew, but by the time it was complete, there was no one left to save. Then, he got sick. He was able to keep death at bay with his magic, but he was never quite the same. She said he wasn't a wizard. He hated them. She thought he used to work for one before they all left. She said that the man had asked her not to tell of him, 
when they sensed Norm was near that first time. He didn't think that he could trust a wizard. At that moment, Norm's eyes began to grow heavy. Oh no. The sending was near. She caught him as he fell, placing him in the chair that she had used time and time again to keep the very hairy man company. I need your help now, she told the man in bed. What you said about the first sending worked, and another one is almost here. The woman helped the man sit up. He's a wizard, the man spat. You know I wouldn't ask you if he wasn't different. The old man allowed a small smile, nodded, and asked for the bone. He patted the bone, mumbled something over and over, and then stopped, pulled the cork from the marrow, and, when the sending emerged in the form of a fly, told the being to go, grow, receive all the sendings from the wizards on the Westman Islands, consume them. The fly grew, roaring, but the elderly man stopped it. Oh, what was it doing? The trapdoor up there was like three feet by three feet. Go outside, then grow. Man, no wonder you got caught. Below, they felt the earth shake as the sending grew to the point that the top of its mouth touched the heavens and the bottom touched the earth. There was a screech of the sending that had been sent from the Westman Islands being eaten. Then silence. Norm blinked awake. Hey, he was alive. And he stayed that way. The sending consumed each one of the spirits that the wizards sent after Norm. And year after year, the wizards remained on the Westman Islands, thinking it too unsafe to leave. Meanwhile, on the main island, Norm and the woman journeyed, found more survivors of the plague, and helped to rebuild society. When the time came, they did their part to repopulate the land. The story ends saying that, as for the wizards, the magic workers who were so concerned with their own safety that they left their home when their people needed them most, well, mighty little was ever heard about them. Just enough, indeed, to amount to nothing. The next story today is also set in Iceland, but far later than the plagues and the wizards. It's a simple story of two young people who are in love and the dark forces that threaten to come between them. That, however, will be right after this. Christmas Eve. He would be back Christmas Eve. The young woman, Guthrun, watched him go. He had a long way home that night, but the valley was safe. They had wanted as much time together as they could get on this unexpectedly warm December evening. On clear nights, she could climb up the hill and watch the light in his home ignite. She would sit there and know that he knew she was watching. It felt, in some small way, like they were together. But they would be together soon. He had asked her, and she had said yes. They were getting married. That's why she wasn't going up on the hill tonight. She opened the door to the cheer from the people that saw her beaming face. Her family assembled within. They didn't wait to hear the news. She was wearing it on her smile. She was engaged to the young man, the deacon of Mirka.
One week later, Guthrun sat getting ready at her farm. Glancing at the road, she hadn't tried to reach out. He was a village deacon and, as such, was helping to prepare for the celebration. It was almost Christmas. Besides, she couldn't have helped out if she wanted to. The river that divided the valley was swollen after the warm day had made it uncrossable. She asked her father that morning, though, and things had died down enough. The celebration was still scheduled for this evening, and it should be safe to cross. She glanced outside and saw the horse and the rider. The deacon. Her fiancé. That still felt weird to say. Soon, after Christmas, he would be her husband. That felt even stranger. Still, she couldn't wait for her life with him to begin. He knocked. She smiled and she looked herself over one last time. And then he knocked again. Guthrun exhaled sharply. What was the point of hiring all those maids if her guests had to stand out in the cold? She rushed to the next room over, brushing past the maid who was just sitting around in the main hall. Guthrun wasn't going to let her ruin this day. She was working on Christmas Eve, so Guthrun could understand wanting to take a little break. At least the deacon was an understanding man. Guthrun didn't say goodbye because, other than the servant who was ignoring her friends, there was no one to say goodbye to. Her family had all gone to church in town to the west. She was going east, across the river, to Mirka. She opened the door, and the man outside, her betrothed, looked like he was in agony until he saw her. She asked if he was all right. He took her into his arms. He was now. He was now. Guthrun tried to stuff her arm into her other sleeve of her nice winter cloak, the one that she wore like once a year, but it tore through the seams. Probably good to wear this thing more than once a year. She wrapped the other part around her and said she would fix it at the church. Guess you'll have to keep me warm. She winked at her husband-to-be. They rode on, and since it was Iceland in December, it was already completely dark in the late afternoon. The moon glowed as the pair rode on. Guthrun wrapped her cloak tighter and held the deacon closer as they approached the center of the valley. The wind whipped down the mountains, staining her face. In the days since the warm one, the temperature had snapped back to normal, and then some. The river was almost frozen again. Only a small stream in the middle remained. The deacon looked over his shoulder. Hold on, hold on. They jumped that last bit of river, and as they did so, Guthrun felt a shudder. She felt her betrothed writhe like he was in pain. Both Guthrun and the deacon's head snapped back when the horse thudded down on the ice on the other side of the river. And then something touched Guthrun's face. Are you okay, Guthrun? Guthrun? Guthrun shocked at first, held her fiancé close. He could feel her nod in his back. His cloak was so thick, though, that he couldn't feel her tears. up to the church, the place of the festival, without another word. The deacon got off the horse first, and then helped Guthrun down. He said he was going to take Faxi, the horse, to go graze, and he would be back. Back. 
Guthrun nodded. She had wiped enough of the tears away now. She had made her choice. He led the horse away, and Guthrun looked up at the church, glowing warm in the night. She looked back to the field by the graveyard. There was no horse in the field. The deacon wasn't there either. He was in the graveyard. He was standing before an open grave, beckoning her. He was standing before his grave. Tears welled as she turned away. She took a step toward the church, but then she felt something grab her cloak. She looked behind her, and he was there. She wasn't looking into her fiancé's eyes, but those of a corpse. They were cloudy and pale. His skin was torn, bloated, and jagged. The deacon begged her, please. She said they were supposed to be together forever. They could be. They could be. She shook her head. She had wanted a life together, but he... He had died. She figured it out on the way. It had happened the night that she said yes. The warm night. The frozen river that he had rowed across in the darkness of the morning was a shell of itself. It had given way when the deacon was in the center. Faxi was found the following morning, grazing. The people of Mirka knew him well as the deacon's horse. And at dawn, their fears were confirmed when he was found on the shore. He had hit his head on the rocks when Faxi plunged into the river. And when his scarf came loose in the jump with Guthron behind him, it had revealed his wound. He had died instantly. Yet, he had come back. He had come back to fulfill his promise to his beloved. Christmas Eve, they would be together. Always. He pulled at her, but she fought. She wrenched her cloak free. She said she wanted a life with him, but they couldn't have that now. He had to let go. The deacon rushed her again, and she ran for the church she knew she wouldn't make it. He was faster than her, and he would have her before she got to the doors. Her hands found the bell, as his found her cloak. She was able to ring it twice before he pulled her away from it. She clawed at the snow as he dragged her toward the graveyard, toward his open grave, just like he promised they would be together forever, together forever. She fought, she kicked, but he had her. They passed the fences of the graveyard. She grabbed on, her nails scraping the wood. Then, she remembered something. Guthrun let go. When the people emerged from the church, they found a long streak in the snow, leading to the dirt piled in the freshly dug grave. And Guthrun, right by the grave, shivering in the darkness. The deacon had gotten her cloak. The torn cloak that didn't have a sleeve. She'd used that to slip away, but he didn't get her. They helped her up, and she told the story of the deacon who had returned from the dead for his love of her. And when they exhumed the body on the following day so the priest could finally help the deacon rest, they found the deacon holding Guthrun's cloak. Guthrun mourned the man she loved, but she did love again. She married, but never forgot that Christmas where one man's love for her transcended the grave in kind of the worst way possible.
that's it for the stories this time. I should say that the ending in the original wasn't quite as simple as I made it. I thought the tragedy of this warped love and the deacon being sucked into the grave after Guthrun told him to let her go were a fitting end. But in the original, they did have a priest out, but that was because Draugr Deacon, like the zombified undead deacon, did not take the breakup well. He didn't stay in his grave. He clawed at her window that night. He harassed her in her dreams. He kept her family up at night. The priest was called in to exercise the spirit of the man so that he could rest. But only after he soured every single positive memory he left with those who loved him in life. Next week, we'll end the year with some monkey king. Who, yeah, loses his job. Because of, you know, all the killing. The creature this time is the Kugel from Cantabrian folklore in northern Spain. The Kugel has a cute name and it loves to hunt, but it doesn't really want to work at it, so it's pretty terrible at hunting. The thing is, it doesn't want to try any other hobbies or work to get better. It's an omnivore too, so it's not like it even needs to hunt. It could farm, it could pick berries, and uh, it kind of does that, but in a more murderous sense. You see, it doesn't want to hunt, but it still wants to eat so it'll go for the easiest prey it can find that also happens to be the worst, morally speaking. It goes after nesting chicks, young animals, like that sleeping baby deer in the forest, and, oh yeah, unattended human babies. The Kugel, even though the name lures you into a false sense of security, the Kugel is nightmare fuel. It's a small creature with a horn atop its head, three eyes, one blue, one green, one red, it has arms without hands, nothing really scary about that, and five rows of razor-sharp teeth. Everything's scary about that. As if this wasn't scary enough, the Kugel is, according to a number of sources I found, unkillable. So your only way to avoid this creature is by avoiding this creature. Luckily, the Kugel has terrible self-esteem, and it will not enter into any fight it feels like it can't win, which is like every fight. It's why it primarily fights babies. So all you have to do is be more imposing than an infant or baby bird, and you're good. If you have an infant or, I guess, baby bird that you're trying to protect, well, all you need are holly or oak leaves. Holly leaves should be easy enough to come by this time of year, and oak leaves every other time of year. But the Kugel just hates them. I can't figure out why, but compared to some creatures that require, like, an iron bar sitting on your infant to repel them, holly or oak leaves sprinkled in the room not so bad for keeping away a little monster with three eyes and more teeth than a great white shark. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Music